The year was 1954. A little church down in Lubbock, Texas, uh, a small country church. It was a Sunday morning or perhaps a Sunday evening, I don't remember exactly, but uh, God did uh, an amazing and powerful thing with this little tiny congregation. In fact, so powerful that it, it, it ties into uh, James Elliott, remember the five missionaries that went down to Ecuador and, and tried to move into this people group that had never heard the, good, the gospel of Jesus, the love of God for them, and, and they all were martyred. And, and it's, part, it's, it's tied into that, this event, and not just this event. Uh, it just it made an impact. Uh, that particular Sunday, I think it was a Sunday evening, that particular Sunday evening there was a missionary that had been invited to speak at the church named Bob Schmidt. And uh, as Bob Schmidt began to tell the story of these whole, whole groups of people in different parts of our world that knew nothing about God, who had never heard that he loved them, and, and more than that, he actually wanted them to be part of his family and spend eternity with him. And as he began to share these stories, it was, it was obvious that it was more than just a message, the the Spirit of God began to just really move on the hearts of the people. Uh, in fact, when he, when he got done, it was, and maybe you've, you've experienced uh, one of those moments, a couple of those time, moments at times in your life, but when he was done, there, there just was this hush. It's, it's like nobody wanted to say anything or, or even move because God was doing something so big and they weren't sure what it was, but they just didn't want to break the moment. And even the pastor, uh, the pastor, the church pastor, uh, uh, Ralph McCoy, was sitting up towards the front, and he didn't know what to do. It's just like he sensed, too, this is something big is happening here. And so he's sitting there praying, and, and then eventually he knew somebody needed something. So he stood up, and he walked up and stood beside the pulpit, and as he was walking up, God put something on his heart, and, and he hadn't talked to the leadership in, ahead of time about this, uh, but he's pretty sure they would agree. He, he just sensed that this is what he should do, and, and he, so he began to speak to his people. He says, folks, we're, we're not a big congregation here, and probably there's not a lot that we can do to significantly impact this need that we've just heard about from this missionary, but I feel like we should do something. And so he uh, grabbed one of the offering plates. They'd already taken the offering earlier in the service, and and he dumped all the all the funds into the one plate. And then he took the plate and he set it on the middle of the, a table that sat in front of their pulpit. And he says, "I just feel like we need to give something to help send missionaries." And so he said, "We're we're not going to do this like we usually do. We're not going to send ushers out with the offering. I'm just going to set the plate there, and I'm going to sit back down and." If God impresses on your heart, just come up and put whatever he tells you to put in this plate. And we'll just give this to, to Bob Schmidt, and we'll ask him to take it back to his uh, missionary organization and, and use it. And so he sat back down, and people began to do that. As, and it just stayed quiet. There was just a real hush. Well, in the back of the church, uh, on, on the very last row, a little girl named Loretta sat. She was 10 years old. And Loretta was weeping. 
not sobbing, but weeping. Tears were running down her cheeks. And, and later on, she would explain that uh, there were two reasons. One, one reason is it just struck her heart. I mean, she just was so overwhelmed with the idea that there are actually children her age that never had heard about Jesus and how much he loved him. And so that caused her to weep. And then on top of that, that she's a 10-year-old. She's, you know, she's thinking, I have nothing, to, no money to give to this. And so the combination just was causing her heart to break. And so she's sitting there weeping and, and kind of talking to God and wondering, what on earth can I do about this, this need? When suddenly a thought came to her mind and she sensed it was from God, and so she got up, and still her cheeks wet from tears began to walk down the center aisle, and she walked up next to the pastor, and she tugged on his seat, and he bent down near her, and she whispered something in his ear, and he shook his head, yes. And so then he got up, and the two of them walked up, and he, he gently picked Loretta up and stood her on top of that table. And then he talked to the people. He says, folks, uh, little Loretta here has asked for permission to do something. She doesn't have any money to give for this offering today, but she's decided that this is what she needs to do. So she walked over, and she stood in the center of that offering plate. And Pastor McCoy says, Loretta, won't you know that today she's giving herself. Now, an amazing thing happened, because from that little church... From that one Sunday back in 1954, missionaries went throughout the world. In fact, some of their grandchildren are still serving today. And it all happened in a little teeny church in Lubbock, Texas. I want to talk to you in a moment about why I start with that story this morning and how it fits into this discussion of spiritual gifts. But let's pray first. We're going to talk together, Father, in the weeks ahead, Lord willing, uh, about this wonderful thing you have done for us who are your children. These wonderful gifts that you have given us and we're going to talk about why you've given them to us. But before we even dig into that, and I'm anxious to get into talking about that. That's exciting to me. But before we even get into the gifts, we need to talk about something else first. And So today and Lord willing next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what our perspective needs to be for you to be able to do in us and through us what it is you want to do. More than we can even imagine. So I pray for you to guide us in this conversation this morning. That our hearts are ready. That we want to hear from you. That we've come in here with just this anticipation. This expression that says, God, I want to know what it is that you want me to know and to be. Through my time this morning. So with those thoughts in mind and with that kind of a heart, we move forward. And thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. Amen. We're moving into a series, and we're going to talk about the subject of spiritual gifts. And it's a tremendous thing. I mean, next to the gift of salvation, 
which, which hopefully everyone in this room has experienced, that, that offer that God has given to you and I to totally restore the relationship. Our relationship with God has been broken. We're, we're born into that broken relationship because we're born into sin. And sin separates us from a holy God who cannot be around sin, have nothing to do with sin. And, and so God, wanting to have a relationship with us, moved forward to us, stepped forward, and he took on himself the, the payment, the penalty of our sins so that he could offer you and I forgiveness and restored relationship free as a gift. But when that happens, when you make that decision, when you accept that gift... A number of other things happen that are, that are really remarkable. You're, you're adopted into God's family. He, you become one of his children. Now, I know in, in, in today's culture, we, talk, we, we like to call ourselves all God's children. But, but action, actually, that's not true. Uh, we're all God's creation. But there's only certain ones that are his children. And those are the ones that have accepted that gift of forgiveness and because he adopted them into his family. He also tells us that, that at that very moment, God the Spirit comes and lives within us and is always with us, always present. He's our counselor. He guides us and, 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 and helps us to have, be wise about what's going on in our life. And, and if we'll allow him, he'll help us to, to know what God's expectations for us. He helps us understand the Word of God. If You may have had that experience where... Maybe you read the, the, the Bible on occasion prior to accepting the gift of salvation, but you never really got anything out of it. You kind of, you know, you wanted to, but you just didn't. And, and then you accepted that gift of salvation, and the Holy Spirit came and lived within you. And, and then you started reading the Scripture, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I, I'm, I'm understanding. I, I see what's going on here. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. We're also told that he gives each of us as his children very special gifts. And, and these gifts, uh, they impact us, but they're not primarily for that purpose. They are, the gifts he gives us are primarily to be used to impact others, to, to, to move into others' lives, to serve others, to love each other. Now, doing that's going to cause a great blessing for us. It just happens that way. And, and remember, love is a key word. In, in, the, in the relationship with God, in, you know, he tells us that it, it's all wrapped up in our relationship with each other. It's wrapped up in love, and that's, that's a big deal. And so this gift is, is primary so that we can serve, so that we can move into each other's life. We can make a difference in each other's lives. But if we're going to really understand this, these gifts, and if they're going to really have the impact that God means them to have, we've got to come to terms with something else first, I believe. There's going to be a decision we're going to have to make. And, and that decision and, and what we need to come to terms with is wrapped up in, in two words, really. The first word is one of our core values, that, that word, serve. Because God's perspective of what these gifts are about and of what we are about is serving. And the other word, and we'll look more into this next week, but there's got to be a new viewpoint of life. We have to start seeing life, seeing ourselves in the midst of this world, this creation, 
in a, in a totally different way. That's why the Bible uses terminology. It talks about when we made that decision to accept that gift, we became a new creation. We have a new identity, and, and we got to begin to see ourselves from that vantage point. There's got to be this shift that takes place where suddenly we see ourselves in the midst of the world around us from a totally different vantage point than we ever had before. I want to focus this morning on that first word, the word serve. There's two words that show up in Scripture that are primarily used to talk about us as followers of Christ. The first one, the one that shows up the most, is the word disciple. We've used that word a lot in this passage. And a disciple was an individual who was a learner, a follower, a student of, of, an indi- of another individual. They, they wrapped their life, they modeled themselves after someone, the teacher, the in New Testament times, the rabbi. And so they would walk with them, they would talk with them, they watched their life, they would try to be like them. And, and in our situation, in, in our perspective, as we look at ourselves, as believers, we should see ourselves as disciples of Christ. We're following, we're modeling our life after him. That's why we talk a lot about him. That's why we spend a lot of time in the New Testament looking. And, and often we'll refer to the Gospels so that we see Jesus Christ in the context of humanity and we can model our life after him. The other word that shows up the most in, references, in reference to you and I is the word servant. And that shows up about half those times. 127 times Jesus refers to us as his followers, with the terminology of servant. Now, that's a little misleading. Our English translation normally translates it with servant, but that's really not a great translation. But frankly, it's the word that we like, because when we think of servant, we think of uh, like Alfred and Batman, or, or remember Alice? Now, I know some of you kids are saying, I have no clue who he's talking about. Remember Alice and the Brady Bunch? You know, Alice who served the family, the Brady Bunch, and actually she was a lot smarter than everybody else. You know, things would have fallen apart. Maybe Alfred's smarter than Batman too sometimes. Or, or maybe Lurch in Adam's family. And, and as I mentioned that, some of you are going, you got that song going in your mind. So it would kind of like... We like the word servant because that's, we'll picture it that way. We kind of like that, you know. They're kind of smart and they're, you know, they're not, you know, they, they, they're really just a family member, frankly, there, you know. And so, so that's the term. We, so we like the term. And I suspect when they translated our English translations from the, the from the Greek, they, they like that term a little better too. It was, it was a little more palatable, you know. I, I kind of like servant. I can make that look a little prettier, but that's not what the word is. The Greek word is doulos, and it means slave. That's the correct translation. In fact, Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament says a slave, this word, originally was the lowest term in the scale of servanthood. The Greek lexicon puts it this way. One, this is one who was devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. And that's who you and I are. And we need to come to terms with that for God to be able to use us the way he wants to use us. Now, I'm going to balance that picture out. 
because, you know, for us, the connotation, that word is, is such a, a negative term. And certainly, uh, in, in a lot of the ways we have seen it represent itself in humanity, it should be. It deserves that. But in the context of the relationship with, we have with God, it doesn't. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the more we get the, the benefit of seeing God do things through you and I which are beyond our imagination. Jesus was talking to his disciples uh, one of those days. And remember that we talked about this verse before. The context was, the culture of that day was that uh, if you were uh, uh, an individual with aspirations for leadership, or if you were already a leader, if you had one of those titles, uh, a ruler, or a Pharisee, or a Sadducee, or a Pharaoh, or, or, or whatever the case may be, uh, if you were in that posture, then you needed to make sure to guard, to protect that posture, because otherwise people might forget you're in charge. And so the culture of the day, you made it clear that when you walked into a room, if you were going to a house to eat and you had one of those titles, then those folks knew it was assumed you would get the best spot at the table unless there were someone who outranked you. Then they would get the best spot and you'd get the second spot. You needed to make sure to guard, to protect that posture and that viewpoint of I'm leadership, I'm in charge. And and so you wouldn't do certain things because to do so would have someone say, oh, well, maybe he's not a leader and you wanted to protect that identity. And so Jesus, and it's not much different today, frankly. But then Jesus steps in the middle of that context and and turns it on its ear and says, let me tell you how it works now. If you are one of my followers and you want to lead, here's what it looks like. You want to lead, first you must be a slave of all. You want to lead, here's what I want you to lead in. I want you to show what it looks like to be a slave of God. To, to turn your life, your reason for being, over to God. Lead that way. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, in fact, to give his life as a ransom for many. In, a, in another context, Jesus was preparing his disciples, his followers, because he was going to believe, be leaving them soon. And, and so they're talking about that, and, and he's saying, you know, I, I will, I'm going to be gone soon. I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to go back to be with the Father, and, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and someday I'm going to come back and get you, and, and uh, uh, some of you will join, will join me even before then uh, at my Father's place. And so he's preparing them, and he says, so, so it's kind of like this. After I've gone, I want you to kind of see yourself like this. It's kind of like a man going away. And he leaves his house, and he puts his slaves, that's the real word, in charge. Each with their assigned task. And so he says, here's the way it is. After, I'm leaving you, but you have a task. And, and this lines right up with spiritual gift. There's a, there's a responsibility. You are serving me 
as you go on without me in your presence, I'll be in presence with you with the Holy Spirit, but as you go on, I've kind of left the house, but I've left you jobs to do as my servants, as my slave. Each of you will have your assignments, and, and, and we're going to see that's exactly what the spiritual gifts is talking about. But we have to have this, get this perspective that sounds a little distasteful to us that, you know, I'm a slave. There was a situation where Peter and John got this message. After Jesus had left, they're going out and they're doing exactly what he says. They're going out and they're telling people the, the good news. They're sharing what God has done on their behalf. How he sent his son and why Jesus died on the cross and, and that he rose again and that, that because of that they're, they're offered forgiveness and they're sharing that news everywhere. And, and the powers that be, the leaders, especially the religious leaders, they're not too happy about this because they have a system set up that is based on merit and works. And, and, and these guys, John, Peter, and the disciples, they're messing that all up. And so one day they decide, we've got to put a stop to this. And so they show up where John and Peter are preaching. And, and so it's Pharisees, it's, it's the Sadducees. <clears throat> but they bring along some guards as well. Because the plan is, you know, we'll talk to them and we are going to politely ask them to shut their mouth about Jesus. If they're not willing to do that, then we're not going to be so polite. And, and so they step into this situation and they demand that, that John and Peter stop telling people about Jesus. Or else. And John and Peter know that the or else is a reality. They had their own master dealt with or else that he was hung on a cross. And so that's it's not idle words. This is just a threat. And so they're in the midst of this situation and they throw a prayer up to their God as they're being threatened in their lives. These men are saying, stop talking about Jesus. And, and so Peter prays and he says, Lord, consider their threats. This is real, God. But note, and enable your slaves to speak your word with great boldness. They're here, Lord. They're threatening us. They're intent to carry through. We're a little scared. But the reality is it's not about what we are or not. We're, we're slaves. We've got to do what you've told us to do. And you've told us to share the good news. And so we're going to do it. But would you consider the threat? Because we've got to do what God told us to do. Because that's what slaves do. They're not about their own interests. They're about the master's interest. Paul, in a number of places. But as he writes to the Roman church, he starts off by saying... Paul, a slave of Christ, called to be an apostle. You know, I would, I would tend to say, first of all, I want to remind you that I'm an apostle. You know, I'm one of the big guys. And, and uh, you know, God, Jesus himself commissioned me to share the good news and to be the, one of the individuals that writes the word of God down for the rest of you and starts the churches. So I'm the apostle and I'm a slave too. But his identity is wrapped up in Paul the slave. 
And in my position as a slave of God, he's asked me to be an apostle to share the good news and to start churches and put his word down for others so you have it in the future. That was his perspective of himself. I'm a slave. One who is devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. That's who you and I are. That's our identity. At least that's the way we should see ourselves. And so we got to come to terms with that before we can ever see God do what he wants to do through us. We've got to begin to see ourselves as we are slaves of God. What I'm about you, God. I'm not about me. Now, our fear with that oftentimes is, okay, as soon as I do that, he's going to change everything. He's going to make me, you know, that, that field where those five guys died, he's going to say, okay, your turn. And, and I, you know, you know, the reality is you're probably exactly where he wants you to be. He, he actually has you in that employment at that place where you work or, or the boss of, those, of that crew that you're a boss over or as a mother in that family or as a dad in that, and a husband in that marriage. That's where he has you. He puts you there. It's just he wants you to understand that he did put you there and you're there because you need to serve him in the midst of that situation. That's, that's the norm. You know, we, we love, uh, you know, songs like, I did it my way. You know, we sit here, that song is like, man, I like that song. Or, or poems like this. This isn't the whole poem, but uh, Ernest Henley wrote a poem, in the, and it ends up this way. And man, this stuff fires us up. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We love stuff like that. I don't know exactly what he meant by those first two lines, but let me tell you what I hear. Because I know that when he uses the terminology the straight way, that sounds to me like something I read in the Bible one time, that there's this straight way, that this gate, and, and it's only through that gate that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the gate, and you need to get on this, on this path. And, and that line, how charged with punishment the scroll, hmm, I kind of wonder if he wasn't talking about this scroll and that it says that folks who choose to walk their own direction away from a loving God are going to face hard times, punishment, even the wrath at some point. And I kind of hear him saying, I don't care what that book says or what God says, I control my life and man, I'm in charge. And we like to think that. And even as believers, we have a tendency, well, maybe not that, but we negotiate. Lord, I'm willing to give you a portion. I'll tell you what I got here. Let's, let's figure it out. I'll give you Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And if something comes up, I'll throw in, you know, a little more somewhere along the line. If we, you know, you need a little extra. And maybe we don't have that actual conversation, but that's kind of the perspective of life. You know, I'll give you a portion of my time. I'll, I'll give you portion of my service and, and finances and 
But God said, no, that's not how this works. I want all of you. I want you. I want you to put yourself in to a place where you say, I am your servant, Lord. Whatever you want in any given day, any situation, wherever you have me, I'm there because you have me there and I want to serve you there. But, but let me balance this out because we had need to have perspective. It's interesting. Paul writes a letter to the Galatian church. And remember we talked uh, last week about the Acts church in, in Acts where that history of the church and as that, that teenage church, you know, it's about 15, 17 years old and, and the leadership start thinking, you know, I think we got a better idea than God how to do this. And so they say, you know, yeah, we need to have Jesus as the beginning, but we need to add some rules. Otherwise, people will get out of hand and, and everybody will want to be a part of our group. And so they have this idea to, to kind of add some things, some rules, you know, to make it a, a little more challenging to, to be a part of the church. And, and fortunately, Paul steps in and says, no, we cannot do that. That's, that is not, it is the simple gospel. Well, you know, that's not the way things work. Just because Paul said that once, it's not like the church said, okay, oh, yep, we'll never do that again. And sure enough, somewhere down the road, a little while later, Galatia, the church starts going that direction, and leadership start adding these different rules and requirements. And, and so Paul steps into that, and he says, that's not what it's about. But here's the balance to that. He says, don't you realize you're no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also a hair. So, so we have two vantage points here. We have God's vantage point of us where he looks at you and I and he says, you're my child. I love you. You are a fellow heir with my son. And then we have our vantage point where we say, like Paul, who wrote through the tribulation church, wrote those words we read a moment ago, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. So my perspective is, God, I, I know I'm your child, and I'm so grateful for that. And, and, and you're, but you're my master, and I'm so glad for the kind of master you are. I'm glad. I want my identity to be wrapped in you because I know you know what's best for me. I know you love me even more than I love myself, and, and that's saying something. And, and, and you're only going to do what's right, and so I give myself to you. I'm your slave. You're my master. I'm going to serve you in this life. And and then to balance it out even more, Jesus comes into the situation and he says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. See, God's heart is, you know, he doesn't want a slave who thinks he has a cruel master that I better or else. He wants us to realize that he looks at us as his child and that we, we serve him, we, we give ourselves to him, we place ourselves in his service and his hands as our master because we know he loves us. And we love him back, and we want to please him. And so there's that balance. But my identity, as I think of myself, is, God, I'm yours. I'm your slave. I want to, no matter what I come to fit into, what situation I find myself today, what opportunities, what concerns, I want to make sure that I serve my master well at this moment as a mother, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as an employee, as an employer. I'm going to serve the master well. Because the reality is we're all slaves to something. That's just the reality. 
Word makes that, God makes that clear. I'm a slave to myself, meism, you know, it's about me, my dreams, my desires, my wants, my needs. It could be I'm a slave to my marriage, you know, I live and, and breathe to, to try to keep that spouse happy, and they're what I'm all about, or, or sometimes we can be slaves to our children. We're, we're all about our children. That's what life revolves around. We're a slave to something. Some people are a slave to their employer. That's all they live for is keeping that employer happy. And so you've got to be a slave to something. God's saying, be my slave. Wrap your dreams, your plans around my plans and my desires and my will. And my, because I want to do things through you that are beyond your imagination. And I can't until you find your identity there. So here's the question. What do I live for? Who, who do I live for? I mean, really, be honest about this. Don't. If I'm to look at my life on a day-to-day basis, in reality, what? who is it that I'm living for? Because how I answer that question determines what's next. How I answer that question determines whether or not I get to see God do things through me and in me that are beyond what I ever imagined or I miss it. And that's an important place to begin before we talk about gifts. Let's pray. Father, this is where we need to start. We've got to come to terms with this identity that we have, that we're we're slaves to a master. This master, you're a wonderful master. You know better than we know what is good for us, what we need to go through. You've given us these gifts that you want to, to see us use and, and, and experience powerful things, but we can't until we recognize who our master is, until we allow you to be that in our life. And we're going to talk a little more about our identity next week. Lord, I just pray that you prepare our hearts. That even as we walk through this week, maybe there's going to be experience in, that we're going to walk through in this week that are going to help us identify, okay, I know who's in charge. <laughs> it's not God. But I want you to be God. Because this is an important conversation. If God, if you're going to get to do through us and in us what you want to do. This is where we got to start. So help us as we think this through. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.